morning, if you will. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I heard of a time back when haircuts were 50 cents back in the old days. A preacher went to the barber shop and he got a haircut. And he started to pay the barber and the barber said, no, that's all right. You're a pastor. I'm not going to charge you. And the pastor said, no, 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 I want to pay you. The barber said, no, I'll tell you what, I'll come listen to you preach and I'll just take it out in preaching. The pastor said, well, I'll be honest with you, I don't have any 50 cent sermons. And the barber said, that's all right, I'll come back twice. <laughs> I want to tell you that a sermon that does not affirm the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a profitless worthless exercise in futility. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is vain also. Maybe I've just noticed it more this year. I, I don't know, but it seems that a whole lot of churches on, on Facebook and in these other places are promoting uh, all kinds of you know, Easter egg hunts, all kinds of activities after church to try to get people to come to church. And you've noticed that we're not doing all that extra stuff. And I'm not saying that there's necessarily, uh, there's nothing sinful about Easter eggs. There's nothing sinful about, you know, painting eggs or egg hunts or any of those things. But that said, they don't have anything to do with the scripture, the, the resurrection. It doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. Uh, so why will so many churches integrate Easter eggs this Sunday into their, their services and everything else. And I think simply put, it's, it's because kids like it and they can be used as a tool to, to convey new life, to try to get people to come into church and all of those other things. And I believe as Christians, we're free to, to utilize things like eggs if they don't become a stumbling block to us or to, to children or to anybody else. But we don't use eggs to celebrate the resurrection. Why is that? It's, it's about shepherding the heart. And, and in particular, I think, shepherding children's hearts. I don't know too many adults that are excited about going to church today because there's going to be an Easter egg hunt after the service. But there's a lot of kids that are going to church today because they're excited about an Easter egg hunt after the service, right? And I think that an annual tradition of, of Easter egg painting and hunting really nurtures an excitement that has so much more to do with eggs and the Easter bunny and everything else than it does to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, it, it's difficult for a child to differentiate between the Easter bunnies and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the reason for the excitement of Easter, right? By the way, I've never seen a rabbit lay an egg. I don't know where they came up with an Easter bunny anyway, but uh, when children are young, their affections have to be carefully shepherded. And I, I, don't, I don't want their hearts and minds to be pointed toward anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not saying that if somebody does an Easter egg hunt that they're wrong, but it's, it, you know, it's the same reason why we limit Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and, and Halloween and all of those other things, because anything that takes away from the message of Jesus Christ is something that is shepherding their heart away from what's the most important thing. And as kids grow in Christ, we, we, you know, we can extend more freedoms to them to, to realize that, hey, you know, Santa Claus or, or the Easter Bunny or whatever else, because they, they start to mature and they start to understand that those things really are meaningless, right? Uh, that, that some of the other things that we put a focus on. But when they're young, we should guard their hearts closely. Because ultimately, Easter and, and the other holy days that we celebrate, like Christmas and some of the other ones, are, are nothing more than about Jesus Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with the, the trappings that, that society puts on them and, and the way that... Uh, uh, it's, it becomes so commercialized and all of those other things. And uh, if a child is more excited about eggs or presents than they are about the resurrection or the birth of Jesus Christ, for that matter, it's time to pull back. And I think, and, and, and that's what I'm saying, maybe I've just noticed it more this year 
than, than in, in years previous, but, but it seems that so many people are putting the focus on Easter eggs and the Easter bunny and you know, all of these other kind of things when the, when the focus ought to be and should be solely on Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it shouldn't be that, that, that people are coming to church for an Easter egg hunt, right? Should come to church to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about, right? Same thing with Christmas. It, Christmas has become nothing more than about making money. On, on selling presents and everything else. has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the birth of Jesus Christ, and now they're trying to push Jesus Christ out of Christmas, right? And the same thing is happening with Easter. This, is, this would not be anything if Jesus Christ had not risen, and yet they're trying to push him out of everything, right? I saw, uh, I saw a news story this week, and I, I apologize because I forget exactly where it was at. I think it was in New Jersey somewhere. Or no, I take that back. It was in, uh, it was in Florida. And they actually had a, a, little, a little, it wasn't really a Bible study, but, but something kind of recognizing Easter. And somebody on the school board said, Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only true God. And so they came back because one person complained and they said, you know what, we're canceling this event. We're, we're not going to allow this to go on because one person complained about Easter being about Jesus Christ's resurrection. And that's happening all the way across this country. What you're seeing is, Everything is being pushed out if it has anything to do with Jesus Christ, when in actuality, it's all about Jesus Christ. Can we not just come and worship Christ? Can we not just come up with Easter, less Easter Bunny-related activities and more about Jesus Christ and his resurrection? Why, why do we try to take something so cultural and make it work for the church? To get more people to come, to appeal to the, to the world? So let's, let's let the resurrection of Jesus Christ be what Easter is about. Let that be the focus of what you teach your kids that Easter is about. And again, if you want to have an Easter basket, go ahead and have an Easter basket. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but make sure your children know that it's not about the Easter bunny showing up on Easter morning or Santa Claus showing up on Christmas morning. It's about Jesus Christ. Today, we, we've come together here to celebrate Easter. Uh, Easter is one of the happiest days of the year for all Christians. Hey, the birth of Jesus Christ is great, but babies are born all the time right? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes Christianity what it is because so many others have been put in the grave and they never rose from the dead. Easter is what makes Christianity what it is. This is an exciting day for us. Easter is more than just wearing that, that, that new dress or that new suit or wearing a suit at all because it's Easter, right? It's more than hiding Easter eggs or carrying the Easter baskets. Easter baskets is Easter baskets. Easter is the, is the one day that sunrise is welcomed by the whole world. Because the arrival of other days may come with fear. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future looks like. But Easter, Easter gives us hope. Let me set the stage for the message this morning. I had you turn over there to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to get there in a second. Whether you believe that Jesus was crucified on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday uh, is irrelevant to the discussion. But by the time this passage rolls around, it's Friday. The Jewish leaders are rejoicing because they just successfully put to death the enemy of the Jewish law, the Jewish tradition. Barabbas had been set free. Pilate had washed his hands in innocence or proclaiming his innocence and in putting Jesus Christ to death. But Sunday's coming. Right now, it's Friday. Judas has gone out and hung himself for betraying innocent blood. Peter has denied Jesus Christ three times. And went out in shame after he swore his willingness to go all the way, even to death, for Jesus Christ. 
And the disciples have all scattered for fear, for fear of the Jews. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus has been beaten and scourged. His beard has been ripped from his face. The thorns have been shoved onto his brow. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's been mocked. He's been spit upon. He's been tortured. He's been cursed. He's been crucified. But it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. And now, in Matthew chapter 28, it's Sunday. The crucified, resurrected Jesus Christ has defeated death. He's defeated hell. He's defeated sin. He's defeated the grave. It's Sunday, and now everything has changed. It's the age of grace. God's grace poured out on all of those who will look to that crucified Lamb of Calvary. Grace freely given to all who would believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross was buried, rose again to pay for our sins. And that's where we pick it up in, in Matthew chapter 28 in verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. For the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth forth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. The message of Easter is a welcomed message. The resurrection of Christ on Easter morning was good news to the entire world. And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes this morning. What is the message of Easter? I want to share that with you, but let's have a word of prayer first. And then we'll look at a couple passages this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. I thank you for Easter and what the true meaning of Easter is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I do pray that if there is somebody in this room this morning that does not know for sure that Jesus Christ is their Savior, I pray that, that the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ would not to them be in vain because they didn't accept you as their Savior. And God, I pray that you'd help us in the message this morning, that you'd open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have for us, and we'll thank you for everything you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, the message of Easter is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, it's pretty simple. We've been talking about that since the beginning of the message, since the beginning of the, of, of the morning. But uh, a man was going down a street, uh, and he saw a very beautiful painting of the crucifixion in a store window. And he gazed, just kind of spellbound, just the, the story that was being painted by that picture. And as he stood there, a little boy that was walking down the street came up and just uh, before he even realized, before he even realized it, this little boy was standing right next to him, and uh, he suddenly became conscious that this little boy was standing right next to him, and the, the boy was gazing at the picture as well, and his 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 ex, his expression was just was tense, and, and it made the man know that the, the this this painting about the crucifixion had gripped this eager little boy, and so he touched the boy on the shoulder and he said, "Sonny, what does it mean?" And I, he felt like he knew the answer to that question, but he was just trying to see if the boy understood it. And the boy said, don't you know? He said, that there is the man named Jesus, and, and then there are the, the Roman soldiers. And, and, and the woman that's crying is his mother, and they killed him. And he just stood there kind of silently, and 
the man, as much as he was enjoying the, the beauty of that painting, had to get to work, and so he turned and he kept walking. Within a minute, he heard some footsteps pounding down the sidewalk behind him, and he turned around, and there was that little boy out of breath, and he said, Say, mister, I forgot to tell you, but he rose from the dead. That's exactly what the message of Easter is. We see that in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 6. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Mark chapter 16 and verse 6, and he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Luke chapter 24, verse 5, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. The message of Easter is that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is such an important part of Christianity. Before the resurrection, Christianity was nothing more than a group of defeated people. Before the resurrection, Christianity was just like every other religion in the world. Buddha died and was put in the grave. Muhammad died and was put in the grave. They were buried. Every other leader who has purported to start a religion died and was put in the ground. Mourners can still go and worship over their tombs, and they do, by the millions in many cases. But there is no tomb at which to worship for Jesus Christ because he didn't stay there. He arose, and when he did, he changed the world forever. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you will. After the resurrection, Christianity spread like wildfire because there were, there were no longer a defeated group of men and women with a leader who was no longer with them. They were a mighty, victorious, conquering force that changed the world for Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 15 says this, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. What he's saying, and I don't have time to, to go into this whole passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but what he's doing is making arguments for the resurrection. He says, we have nothing to stand on if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. We're false witnesses of Jesus Christ if he did not rise from the dead. Were the disciples liars? Were they deceivers? If so, why? Why would they deceive? Why would they lie? What did they gain if Jesus Christ was still in the grave? They died as martyrs. They were tortured. They were persecuted. They were burned at the stake. They were drugged through the, the, uh, the cities on, the, on, on horses, by horses. They were eaten by lions. They were stoned. They were crushed. They were humiliated. Hypocrites and martyrs are not made of the same stuff. People tell lies to get out of trouble, not to get into trouble. Right? A man may live for a lie, but very few people are willing to die for a lie. The disciples said, we've seen him. We've touched him. He's here. He was seen by a whole lot of people, and a whole lot of people at one time he was seen. Are you going to tell me that Simon Peter was a con man? That the apostle John was a crook? That, that, that Paul, the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was a known perjurer, a known deceiver, a, a false witness? Of course not, but if, but if Jesus Christ is still in the grave, preaching is profitless. Faith is foolish. The disciples would have been deceivers. That's what we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But of course we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and the resurrection is the most important event in history the world has ever known because it solidified everything Jesus Christ ever said about himself. It solidified everything about Jesus Christ that he said he was and that he was going to do. 
And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that validated everything they had taught and preached for all of those years that he was here on this earth. The message of Easter is that Christ rose from the dead, but also the message of Easter is that Christ is alive today. Turn over to John chapter 11. Jesus Christ is different than any other religious leader. It would not have been anything spectacular if Jesus Christ had raised from the dead and then died a normal death like every other man. We see people in the Bible actually being raised to life. I don't have time to take you to 2 Kings chapter 4, but Elijah raised a young boy from the dead. We see this in John chapter 11, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Verse number 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by it, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. See, the bad news for Lazarus is that even though he was given life again, he eventually died for good. Lazarus eventually went into a grave that did not open back up and allow him to come out. Jesus Christ raised from the dead, and then instead of dying as an old man, he went back to heaven to prepare a place for us. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus Christ is alive today. He didn't raise from the dead and then live a normal life and die. He went back to heaven and he's there today. He's alive today. And it's the same Jesus that we're talking about. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus Christ is alive. And by the way, he's going to come back someday. For those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that can be a terrifying thing. But for those who do, there can be no better news. That gives us hope that the grave cannot hold a Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear hell. I don't have to fear the grave because Jesus Christ won the victory over the grave. And if he says that one day we're going to rise and be with him, then I believe it. He did it. He's already done it. He's already done everything that he said he was going to do. All of those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to experience that same victory over death and over the grave someday. We sang the song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. Life is worth a living just because he lives. What a, what a tremendous thought. 
I was just talking with somebody the other day, and I, and I, was, I, I, I try to make, make sure that people understand. I'm not bragging when I say that when I die, I know for sure that I'm going to go to heaven. I don't have to fear death. I don't, I'm not afraid to die. If I were to drop down right here, but I think the, the problem, the reasons why so many people are so afraid of something happening is because they don't know where they're going when they die. Their eternity is not settled. And so the, the, the future is uncertain to them. And it is a scary thing to live in a life uh, where war is a possibility, where death is a possibility. Hey, I know that that's a possibility, but it doesn't, it does, I'm not afraid of it because I know where I'm going when I die. And that's not a thing, that's not bragging about me, that's bragging about Jesus Christ and what he did for me. I heard somebody say this week, and man, I, it, was a, it, was a, uh, it was an old message that I was, that I was watching, and somebody said, if somebody were to ask you how, you get, how are you going to get to heaven, if it starts with the first person, then it's not salvation. Well, I got baptized. Well, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I, no, it should start in the third person. He did it for me. Jesus Christ is the reason that I'm going to heaven when I die. It has nothing to do with me. The message of Easter is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that Christ is alive today. But number three, turn back over to Matthew chapter 28, if you will. The message of Easter is that Christ defeated Satan. Christ defeated Satan. Satan used that Jewish law to crucify Jesus Christ. When he hung there on that cross, Satan shouted for joy. He's gone. I've won. It's over. Now how do you like your spiritual leader? Now how do you like your king of kings and lord of lords? He's dead. He's in the grave. I've won. But he celebrated just a little bit too soon. Take you back to Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Verse number five. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord... I love this. This is in the past tense. Come see where he used to lay. Come see where his body used to be. This, that Easter morning, Jesus came forth from the dead and Satan began to shake in his boots because he knew that by that point it was all over for him. If death could not defeat him and the grave had no power over him, then there was nothing that Satan could do, nothing that could defeat Jesus Christ. A woman wrote, J. Vernon McGee, he's, he's a, he's, he was a pastor years ago, he's been dead for some time now, but she wrote him, a, he had a national uh, radio program and people were able to write in and ask Bible questions and things and so this lady wrote, uh, uh, wrote into J. Vernon McGee and said, our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus just swooned on the cross and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? And J. Vernon McGee wrote this lady back and she said, he said, dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip for 49 heavy strokes. Nail him to a cross. Hang him in the sun for six hours. Run a spear through his heart. Embalm him. Put him in an airless tomb for three days. Then see what happens. Jesus Christ didn't just swoon. He didn't just, uh, just lose consciousness for a few days, and then they nursed him back to health. In fact, the, the late African-American pastor, Dr. S.M. Lockridge, I think said it the best. He said, he conquered everything that came up against him. He took your sins and mine and went out on Calvary and there died. While hanging on that cross, Jesus said several things. But when the thief taunted him and said, if you be the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself and us. To that taunt, Jesus never said a mumbling word. But the silence seemed to have said, you just wait until Sunday morning. I'll show you that it's better to come up out of the grave than it is to come down from a cross. 
and he dropped his head in the locks of his shoulder and he died. I mean, he really died. Don't pay any attention to the swoon theory. He died. He died until the sun refused to shine. He died until the veil in the temple was rent in twain. He died until Matthew says the dead got up out of the grave and walked the streets. He died. The centurion said, surely this must have been the son of God. I'm trying to say he died, but I don't like it. I don't like to stay there and dwell on the he died. I like to rush on and say he was buried in Joseph's new tomb. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Now that used to bother me. The one who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand and meets out the heavens with a span, comprehends the dust and weighs the mountains on a scale and the hill on a balance. The one who walked on the brow of nothing and with the gesture of his hands, worlds were formed, scooped out the seas with the palms of his hands, dug deep the gorges, piled up the hills and propped up the mountains by his will. The moon and the stars lean on his arm, being buried in a borrowed tomb. Well, he wasn't going to stay there long, so up out of the tomb he came. Yes, he just went down in the grave and stayed in the grave long enough to clean it out and make it a pleasant place to wait for the resurrection. And on schedule, he got up with every form of power in the orbit of his omnipotence. Jesus Christ is Lord. I wish I had a way with words like that. But what a tremendous way to describe exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. The story is told that on the day that, that Wellington of England defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, arrangements were made to relay the news of the outcome of the battle back to England. And it was going to be relayed from one ship to the next until the word got back to England. And so, of course, a group of men stood anxiously awaiting on the shores of England. And suddenly the ship that was closest to the shore began to signal back letter by letter. And they spelled out the words, Wellington defeated. And then a bank of fog cut off all the view of the ship. Was that it? If, if, if Wellington was defeated, then that could very well mean the end of England. But that bank of fog rolled out, and after a few moments, moments that seemed like hours to the Englishmen who were standing on that shore waiting, the fog cleared away and the signaler started to message again. Wellington defeated Napoleon. When Christ Jesus died on the cross, the only message that the disciples could see was Christ defeated. But when Jesus Christ, because of the fact that he came up out of the grave, rose again on that third day, they saw the message clearly, Christ defeated Satan. The message of Easter is that Christ rose from the dead, that Christ is alive today, that he defeated Satan. But the entire message of Easter comes down to this. Number four, and lastly, the message of Easter is that Jesus Christ offers life to all who believe. I touched on this already, but perhaps you're sitting here this morning thinking, how do I know if I'm one of his? How do I know for sure that Jesus Christ is my Savior? Look, Jesus Christ did die on the cross. And there's a lot of people in this world that are at church today who believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. We wouldn't be celebrating Easter other than that. But Jesus Christ is not their Savior. Jesus Christ doesn't automatically become your Savior because you believe in the story of the death, burial, and resurrection. There's a lot of people who believe in the story of the Easter Bunny. There's a lot of people who believe in the story of Santa Claus. There's a lot of people who believe in the story of George Washington and all of these other historical figures. That's all Jesus is to most people is just a historical figure whose account is written in the Bible that they believe the story. Believing a story does not mean that you're going to spend an eternity in heaven. Jesus Christ needs to be your Savior. So how do you make Jesus Christ your Savior? Well, you think about a, a, a ship that is 
uh, uh, that has sunk. And people are bobbing up and down in the water, and a rescue ship comes along, and you can see people all the way around that ship being pulled up out of the water by the lifeboats or pulled up out of the water by the, the floats that they throw out to rescue people in. And you see all that happening, and you say, wow, I believe that they can rescue me too, but you don't cry out for help. You don't say anything, and next thing you know, that ship moves away because they didn't even see you there. No, the people who get rescued are the ones who say, I need help. Help me. Help me. I'm here in the water. Come rescue me too. Well, you might believe all you want to that that rescue ship could rescue you, but until you cry out for help, until you realize and, and recognize that you need somebody else to save you and that you cannot save yourself, and you cry out for help, they're not coming to pick you up. And I know it's just a story, it's just an illustration, but the same is true of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, I see all these other people that are being rescued by Jesus Christ. I see all these other people that have a testimony of knowing for sure that they're going to heaven when they die. And, wow, that's great. Yeah, I believe that. that I can believe that I could be rescued too. But they, they're, they're sitting there trying to do all of that work on their own. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I can do this. I, 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 I've been baptized as a baby. I, I was baptized as an older person. Whatever, name it. Name the things that you think you've done to earn your way to heaven. And I'll tell you that none of that is good enough to get you into heaven. And that's not just my words. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If I could get to heaven because of me, then I can prance through heaven with my chest stuck out saying, I'm here because of what I did. And that starts in the first person again. What it needs to be is the third person. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me. I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. And that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can try all you want to to get from here to heaven on your own works. You can try all you want to to be a good person and hopefully make it to heaven someday. But no matter how hard you try, because we've sinned, we are going to come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Because we've sinned, one sin. James says, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all of it. That means even one little sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. That's depressing. It's depressing because I've got more than one little sin attached to my account, right? And so does every single one of you in here this morning. Don't pretend you're better than everybody else, right? In fact, if you say that you don't have any sin, I know for sure you have at least one because you're lying. <laughs> We're all sinners. We know that. But that sin is what separates us from God. God cannot look upon sin. Sin cannot enter heaven. And so something has to be done to get rid of that sin. And many religions have been established based on that fact. I've got to do something to get rid of that. And hey, you can't fault them for, for, for at least having that recognition that I can't do anything to get myself to heaven. Or I, I, I take that back. I can't do anything to, to, to earn my way to heaven. I can't do anything to... to get into heaven with this sin, right? And so they come up with all these other ways. Well, certainly if I walk on my knees. I, I was in Mexico and I, I visited a, a Catholic church and I saw people walking on their knees, bloody knees, walking on, walking on their knees on concrete because that's what they were told they needed to do to pay for their sins. People whipping themselves on the back because that's what they were told they needed to do to, to get their sins forgiven. And, th and that's commendable because you realize that your sins need to be forgiven, 
But nowhere do we find that in the Bible. What we find in the Bible is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for those sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It doesn't say through Jesus Christ our Lord and all of the other things that I have to do added on top of that. It doesn't say through Jesus Christ our Lord and all of the other good things that I can try to do to help other people. There's a lot of people that are in a lot of noble professions whose job is to help other people. That's great, but that doesn't get us any closer to heaven than the, than, than the person who's just sitting in an office all day or the person who is sinning all day every day. We need something besides ourselves to get us to heaven. And that something is Jesus Christ. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do I deserve heaven? Absolutely not. But am I going there when I die? Yes. Not just because all you got to do to get to heaven is die. That's what a lot of people think, right? Almost every funeral you go to, I know he's in a better place. How do you know that? Well, he died. So he's in a better place. Not necessarily, right? You don't just have to die to get to heaven. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior to get to heaven. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do you get to heaven? How do you get that sin forgiven? You come kneel at the foot of the cross. You ask for forgiveness. You ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you. That's how you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's how he becomes your Savior, not just the Savior of the world, your Savior. If I could do it, I would accept Jesus Christ for everybody in this, in, in this room, everybody in the world if I could. The problem is I can't. There's one person, there's one person in this room that I can accept Jesus Christ for, and that's me. That's it. And every single person in this room has to make that decision for themselves. One of these days, you are going to stand before God. One of these days, God's going to be your judge. And one of these days, he's going to either let you into heaven or he's going to condemn you to hell. God's a loving God. Oh, a loving God would never do that. He's a just God. And justice demands that there be a penalty for that sin. And I have to pay a penalty for my sin. But you know what? Jesus Christ paid that penalty for me. That's what the death of Jesus Christ is all about. And had he just died and been put in the grave, then that would have been the end of it. But he rose again from the dead and proved that everything that he said he was going to do, he did. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins, he gave me a way out of hell. He gave me the way into heaven. I didn't have anything to do with it. Happened well before I was born. But that same offer is made to every single person who is alive on this earth Today, who has a, who's been alive on this earth in the past and who will be alive on this earth, that same offer is there. Will you accept Jesus Christ or will you reject him? Because honestly, there is no in-between. Well, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I might accept him, right? If somebody's holding out a gift for you and you say, eh, let me think about it, they're going to walk away and they're going to say, what? He rejected my gift, right? There is either acceptance or reject, uh, rejection. There is no in-between. And when it comes to whether or not you're going to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, well, let me wait, let me see, I might, let me think about it some more. 
You're either re accepting him or rejecting him. And there is no guarantee that you're going to get another chance to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm not trying to scare you this morning. You might live another 50 years, but you might only live another five minutes. And if you walk out of this place this morning having rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior, you may not get another chance to accept him. You might, but you also might not. And if you take your first, bre first breath in eternity without having accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there are no restarts. There are no do-overs. You cannot go back and say, oh, I believe now. It's too late. It's too late. And I'm not just making this up. I could give you verses from the Bible for every one of these things, but for sake of time, I'm explaining to you what the Bible says about how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. Why celebrate Easter? What does Easter mean? Well, yeah, that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, it means that, that Satan was defeated. But Easter means that Jesus Christ has given all of us a way out of hell and into heaven because of that. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, he says, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You and I can rejoice this morning because of the glad message that Jesus Christ is alive. He's risen. He lives. He's defeated death. He's defeated hell. He's defeated Satan. And he's offering eternal life to everyone who will put their faith and trust in him. Perhaps God led you to this place this morning so you could hear how you can know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Hey, Easter makes for a great story. Birth of Jesus Christ makes for a great story around Christmas time and all this stuff. But it's so much more than that. It's not just a story. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to prove that he was God, to give us hope, to give us eternal life if we'll accept him as our Savior. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. I want you to look at one last passage with me, and we already looked at it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A little boy and his father were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon, and suddenly out of nowhere, a bumblebee flew into the car. And since that little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings, he started to panic. And he became petrified, and he was starting to shake and, and just, just almost losing his mind. And, and just in an instant, his, his father quickly reached out and grabbed that bee and squeezed it. And then he opened his hand, and the bee flew out. And that little boy became petrified again, and the father said, no, 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 hang on, hang on. He reached out his hand again, but this time he pointed to the little stinger that was stuck right in the middle of his hand from that bee. He told his son, he said, you see this? He said, you don't need to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. The, the, the Christian does not need to be afraid of death because Jesus Christ took the sting of death for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Verse 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for your sins and he died for mine. Won't you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today?
Maybe you've been on the fence about it for a while. Maybe you've been back and forth in your mind. You know what? Something I need to do. Something I probably should do, but I don't know. Let me think about it a little while longer. Hey, what a better day to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior than Easter Sunday. The day that we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you and for me. We have a choice to make. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there's never been a moment where you repented of your sins and asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to save you, then up until now, you have rejected Jesus Christ. You've rejected Jesus Christ. And there's only two choices. Will you accept him or will you reject him? He did all that for me. He did all that for you. Now the choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a promise. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for Easter and what it means. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for allowing me to have an opportunity to accept you as my Savior, for for allowing me to hear the message of the gospel. Now, God, I do pray for anybody in this room, and with a crowd this size, I cannot help but think that there's at least one person, maybe more, that does not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven. I pray that you give them the courage to come forward and let somebody take a Bible and show them how they can know for sure that they'll be saved. I would sure hate to see anybody walk out of here this morning without knowing that they're on their way to heaven. So God, I pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that does not know for sure that they'd get that settled today. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.